There's another one you don't want to hear. Frankly, neither do I. Right now on the Power Chord Hour, I'm very excited to be welcoming back to the show for the very first time since 2019. We are talking to Tim Rogner of the band Alistair, and this year marks 20 years since the band released 2002's pop punk staple, Last Stop Suburbia. We're going to discuss the writing and recording of the album, that era of the band, really get into it. And uh, on top of that, if you are near the Pittsburgh area, I'm very excited for this one. Alistair is playing day two of this year's Four Chord Music Fest. Mark that down Saturday, September 10th And uh, actually if I'm not mistaken Unless Alistair has played there since the last time I saw them play Pittsburgh I think it's the first time they're playing there since like 2014 So if you're in the area, you definitely want to check that out So we're going to talk that show, Last Stop Suburbia And a whole lot more with Tim Tim, how are you man? I am good dude, how are you? Thanks for having me on Oh, doing really good. I'm, uh, I mean, I'm excited to talk about this record. I had a great time talking to you a few years ago. I can't believe it's been three years, but a few years back. <laughs> I know. And, uh, you know, I, and actually last time we were kind of dissecting, uh, at that point you're doing the 20 years and counting that just came out and, uh, yeah. kind of dissecting that record. So now we will, uh, we'll do a little bit with last stop suburbia. So I mean, For sure. like, like take us, let's go to like the beginning and, uh, you know, when you, when you start thinking of Last Stop Suburbia, I'm, you know, just really thinking of the next album, like how long after Dead Ends and Girlfriends was the thought of, of hey, we got to do another album? Like how long after that were you starting to write what would eventually become Last Stop Suburbia? You know, what's funny is, is we were actually starting to write some of the songs for that made it on the Last Stop Suburbia, I think, at the end of our session for Dead Ends and Girlfriends. So we had a whole bunch of songs ready to go for Dead Ends and Girlfriends. And towards the end of that session and like right after we finished recording that record is when we started writing a whole bunch of new songs. And we didn't necessarily have a timeline, um, you know, because we had just signed with Drive Through. We were just kind of getting our feet wet, you know, with with serious touring, you know, like nationwide full U.S. touring. Um, we had done some touring in the past, um, but it wasn't, you know, super extensive. Um, and so we wrote a bunch of songs, I think, before we left on like, you know, our, our second or third major tour and then just kind of kept going from there. Um, and we knew we wanted to to get a new record out. It just we spent so, so much time touring that it just took a little bit longer than we would have liked. But we had most of the songs written. We just never really we needed a couple more, I think. And. So finally, we had a chance to stop uh, being on the road for about five or six months and finally wrap up the writing. I think we wrote like four or five more songs for uh, for Last Stop Suburbia. And then we were finally ready to go into the studio. Did you, uh, you know, like you're, you were saying, you kind of wrote some of those initial songs after Dead Ends, then you went on tour. Were, uh, were you playing any of these songs uh, live before the album came out? And any of those Last Stop Suburbia songs, were you like fleshing those out live and stuff before they got recorded? We were, yeah, as a matter of fact. Um, so I, I very distinctly remember playing uh, Radio Player and Somewhere in Fullerton and Overrated before Last Stop Suburbia even came out. 
because those were some of the first couple songs that we wrote, I think, for Last Stop Suburbia. Um, I think those were the ones that were kind of just after, la- or, uh, excuse me, just after Dead Ends and Girlfriends um, uh, recording session wrapped up. And so we were like, well, these songs are kind of good. Like, maybe we should try playing them live just to kind of see how they go over. Like, we like them at least. And so we played them at a handful of shows. And, and I'm, I'm pretty sure uh, Somewhere in Fullerton and, and Overrated were kind of a staple in our set before that record even came out. Oh, wow. That, and I mean, also like with that, I mean, were these, were the songs pretty much already in the form that we would know them now? Or I mean, were they, were they any, uh, you know, kind of different at all before, you know, pre uh, Last Stop Suburbia when you were just kind of, you wrote them and started playing them live, you know, I mean, were they totally different or are they about what you'd hear later on once they made it onto the record? They were almost exactly what you hear on the record. Uh, we did very little uh production like i'll put that in air quotes i know you can't see me but quote unquote (laughs) production work when we uh recorded last stop suburbia so the songs themselves uh you know were basically written and however we wrote them is kind of just about you know 99 percent how they ended up on that record does that tend to be for Alistair? I mean, do you guys tend to be a band where it's like your your kind of first idea or first takes probably the best? Like, you know, you almost don't want to mess around with that stuff too we, much. Totally. Yeah, we do. We we were not, you know, I mean, because I mean, look at the stuff we play. It's pop punk. It's three chords. It's not it's not necessarily the type of music you want to sit around and overthink. You know, you just kind of crank some of these songs out and then you move on to the next one. Um, and I think maybe there were a couple parts here and there where our producer uh, and engineer, Chris Futerich had suggested, well, maybe let's move like a pre-chorus to here. Maybe like, let's switch up two chords, you know, just to give it a, maybe a little bit of a different flavor. Mm. Um, But that was, you know, few and far between on some of those songs. Well, that's what I was going to ask too. I mean, like when you, when you guys did go into the studio, was it, was it pretty much all songs written and fleshed out for the most part? Like, was it basically written and ready when you hit the studio or was there any like writing or any like new songs that you wrote while you were uh, recording Last Stop Suburbia? No, there were no songs that we wrote while we were recording. Um, But I do remember very vividly the last song that we wrote for, uh, Last Up Suburbia was uh, actually the first track off it called Scratch. And we were staying at our drummer's house for like two days or three days, I think, to like practice and rehearse, you know, to make sure that we were tight before we left to go record. Because Last Up Suburbia was recorded in, in California. And so we spent three days before we left at our drummer's house, like in central Illinois practicing you know all day and rehearsing and scratch was a song that came out of those three days and we really liked it and we're like we gotta this has to go on the record like yeah it's brand new but you know it's it's a cool song so we we need to make sure we put this on the record uh and it it, it did it, you know, obviously it ended up being the first track and we were all pretty excited about that so that was kind of a cool a cool thing I mean, it is, it's a, it's a great album opener. I think it's a really good way to like kick off the album. And I mean, I guess, I guess now I'm curious too, like for one, before you wrote Scratch, I don't know if you had already kind of had the sequencing or ideas in your head for the album, but I mean, was there ever a, 
idea for another song to be the album opener on there? Because now I'm kind of interested in knowing if before Scratch was written, if there was one before that where you go, that's the album opener. Was there one you were initially going to go with before writing that? That's a good question. Um, I know you I, might not have been into sequencing at that point. I guess I'm not yeah, entirely sure. That's that's kind of where my head is at right now. I, I don't think we really thought you know, too much um, ahead at that point because we, we actually didn't even really demo all of the songs for Last Stop Suburbia. I think we ended up demoing like maybe nine, eight, eight or nine of them. Um, so we only really had recorded demo copies of eight or nine. So the, the rest of the songs, the other six or seven or whatever, were just in our heads. You know, we didn't have them down on okay. tape or anything. Um, and so we hadn't really thought about sequencing at all. And we didn't even really think about sequencing until the record was finished until we kind of heard all the songs. And then that's kind of when we went through and we're like, okay, I think this is kind of how we should order, you know, the songs. That's see, I'm always interested in that part. And when you do get into like sequencing and playing around, because I mean, in, I feel like me as a listener, probably a lot of people, like when you listen to your favorite records for like 20 years, I feel like it's so ingrained where you go, obviously scratches the album. (laughs) You would never do anything else. But then you forget there's a time when you're like writing this record. It's not like you guys are like, there we go. We got to sit down and write like a great album opener and we got to, you know, we got to do it this way or something. So it's kind of fun to get into like the development of that because yeah, now I can't imagine it opening with another song. Like I, I just can't even think of another song on the record that I'd open it with, but it's, it's funny to kind of like, you know, hear the progression of those things and kind of how like everything unfolds. So, I mean, yeah, I, I agree. And, and it's weird. Sorry. sorry. I mean, oh, no, you're fine. Real, real, real quick. It's 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 interesting to me too how like as a band, you know, for Alistair, we never thought about those kind of things, right? Like I said, we just kind of cranked out these three chord songs and then moved on to writing the next song and then moved on to writing the next song. So we never really thought twice about these songs. But it's always interesting to me, and I've noticed this, you know, and I'm sure every band goes through this, but I've really noticed it just over, you know, the 25 years or however long I've been recording records, um, is that when you do an album, like even if you don't have a plan like that, each song tends to kind of naturally find its place on the record as you record it. You know, they they just they end up coming out a certain way or there's a certain vibe to certain songs, even if it was unintended in the first place. Mm-hmm. It ends up that way when it when it goes on tape um, and they just kind of naturally sometimes most of the time, I think they just kind of naturally fall into the right places. And it seems obvious. I think when the record's done, like I don't remember for sure, but I'm, I'm almost a hundred percent that without a doubt, when, when we heard all the songs we were like, well, yeah, scratch has to be number one, you know, that that's, it's a good opening song. It just makes the most sense, you know? And we knew we were kind of all in agreement that radio player, was potentially going to be like single-ish, you know, perhaps Mm -hmm. it was like, you know, one of the catchier songs, I think, and and we could envision perhaps some sort of radio play. And, you know, I think bands tend to, at least pop and radio bands tend to put, you know, their singles second or third kind of early on in the the sequencing. So we kind of knew that one was going to come sooner. Um, And then the rest just, just kind of fell naturally into place. I got to give you credit there too. I mean, as we, as we're talking about like sequencing of a record, because with it falling into place the way it does, and honestly that record is sequenced, I think very well. I I feel like the pacing of it 
works. Like just every every song really isn't the place it should be. But with that said, I mean, what I mean, how many tracks are on that? I mean, we're talking like sixteen or seventeen. I right? think yeah, I think it was sixteen. Yeah. So I mean, there's I got and credit to you because there are a lot of records that do have sixteen or seventeen songs, and no matter how well sequenced it is, I think somewhere in there, I think the more songs you have, the harder it is to like find that place where they should be placed. And that one, I got to say, it never really has the lull because there are some records with long with like a lot of songs in that way where. You know, maybe it's really good for like the first twelve songs, but that like thirteen through fifteen are kind of like, well, maybe we could have. Yeah, it starts to drag. Yeah, it's like, oh man, that 29th, 30 second minute of the album is like, oh come on, let's just let's go. Yeah, so I mean, like big credit to you guys because yeah, it really. Uh, Again, I, I feel like the more songs you have, and I mean, I think I do think it's maybe easier to do with, like, say, a ten-track album. But I think the more you, songs you get in, the more you can fall into that. Where hell, I mean, if you sequence it wrong, yeah, the, a song might lull the album. Maybe it, w- maybe it is a good song, but maybe it would have been better as like a track six or something. Like, so mm-hmm. credit, credit to you, uh, to you on that. And just, <laughs> Thank you. And everything uh, kind of falling into place with that. But, like, getting into, uh, you know, I know you said you guys recorded Last Stop Suburbia in uh, California. What studio would you record at? You know, this has absolutely been driving me crazy because I, (laughs) for the life of me, I cannot remember the name of the studio. I think it changed names, like, every couple years. And I don't even, I don't even think it's there anymore. But I remember, obviously, exactly what it looked like and where it was. It was in... um, it was in Venice Beach, California, and it was literally like I'm not even exaggerating. It was on the beach. Oh, so nice. if you walked out the front door of the studio and you turned right and you walked about, I don't know, 50 steps, you were on the beach. God there was like damn. a road and then there was the beach. And it was awesome because we – we stayed in the Oakwood apartments uh, in Marina del Rey, which was about a mile away. And we would either walk or like skateboard to the studio down the boardwalk every single day. Oh, man. That right is, on the beach. That's so it was, nice. <laughs> it was awesome. It was awesome. I mean, going, you know, going with that, and I'm always kind of interested in this because I've asked people and you kind of, you get a little bit of both, but I know those songs were pretty much written by the time you got to that studio, but do you Mm -hmm. think your surroundings in that environment, like, influenced the sound or anything at all? Like, that record is such a good, I think, summertime record, and I mean, do you think any of that has to do with that surroundings recording in that way, or do you think, or were they already basically like that by the time you got there? I mean, I I like like this because... People kind of go both ways. Some people are like, environment has a lot to do with it. Some are like, no, it really has nothing to do with it. Yeah, you know, honestly, I've never really thought about that before. I I would say perhaps subconsciously, maybe a little bit of that kind of got ingrained in the record. I think more so, though, it was just such such a relaxed atmosphere for us. Like, A, we were on the beach B, we were doing what we love to do. C, it was essentially our first real record. And we didn't really, still didn't really know any better. And there wasn't, we didn't necessarily feel any pressure, right? Because yes, we had put out Dead Uns and Girlfriends, but we recorded that album like in four days for 700 bucks. So that wasn't even, 
a thing for us. Like we didn't even consider that a record. It was just a whole bunch of songs that we recorded in a couple of days, but this felt like a record and, and there was still no pressure, you know, cause we, you know, we hadn't developed a huge uh, or a big following yet. Um, so it was still just us making a record, but doing it, you know, legitimately. Um, so there wasn't a whole lot, I think that we really had to worry about. And I think because of that, we we were able to to focus just on playing and and having fun and and letting some of that fun creep into to the record, uh, you know, when we were doing it. That's interesting. Like like also like just kind of that like like you were saying like in a lot of ways for you guys at the time like feeling like your first record. I mean, do you still? And that'd be kind of interesting. As I mean, as the guy who like wrote it, like. Does does it still last stop suburbia feel like spiritually the first like Alistair record to you? Yes and no. It, it it feels like the first real record, you know, that that we did, although I know it's I know it's our second record. You know, I, I know it's in the the grand scheme of things, I know it's it's number 2, but it feels like our first for foray into a real being a real band you know what i mean yeah and 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 being really legit into the music industry and that's what it feels like for me no and it, and it i mean it, it is interesting like all those things you were talking about like that may have uh kind of made it come out the way it did but it does feel and i love dead ends and girlfriends but it does there is there is this shift i feel like on last stop suburbia where kind of like you're talking about like it really is kind of i i feel like a real bona fide band, like something about it where it's like this is like you're really now now you're really seeing the full potential I think of the band on a last stop suburbia. So I mean, it, it yeah. was from the outside, but I, I always like hearing that too. It's interesting because I mean, people have the connections with these. Obviously, we're talking like this album twenty years later. The audience has a connection, but I also like hearing that because like I mean, you're the one who wrote it, so you know your relationship with these albums and these songs and everything are going to be different than uh you know say the say just the listener probably uh, you know would be. yeah and i i think part of it i mean obviously we're still just a, a pop punk band and we don't necessarily write about anything real serious you know but i do think that part of that may be because the song that we wrote for dead ends and girlfriends um you know we wrote when we were 15 or 16 years old you know, those were songs like are the very first songs that we started writing when we when we formed the band, even before the band was even started. These were just little ideas we had kind of laying around, you know, but Last Stop Suburbia, the songs were actually written like, you know, after we were, I don't know, I think most of those songs were written between the ages of like 18 and 20. Maybe night, maybe 19 and, and 20, 19, 20, 21, because I think we were. 21 or 22 when we recorded that album um and so even though you know that's not old that's a, a, a jump you know age-wise between being 15 and 16 and writing songs for oh, yeah. dead and the girlfriend and being you know 1920 and writing songs for last up suburbia so I, I hesitate to use the word mature because i realize that <laughs> sounds kind of funny coming coming from us but you know, in a sense, I think the songs were a little bit more at least thought out, you know? No, that makes, and you, I mean, you are right though. That is a big eight, like 15 and then like, 
you know, your teens and then your early twenties, I definitely think mm-hmm. there's a, uh, there's a difference. Plus even just naturally you've gone to write, you've gotten to be a band, you've kind of learned how all of you kind of work together. Like, you know, yeah, absolutely. But, uh, kind of, kind of getting back into the recording process of last stop suburbia too. I mean, how long, how long were you guys in the studio for that? How long did that take to record? I want to say it was about, it was about a month. Uh, it was about four weeks, I believe. And it was, so it was February, I think it was like mid February of 2002 to mid March of 2002. So, sometime right around there. It was either four or five weeks. Yeah. Um, is about how long we were in there. How soon after recording it uh, did it come out? I, I can't remember the release day, but that, not too long after, right? Yeah, I think it was about six months because oh. the I think the record ended up actually maybe it was all of March that we were in the studio. Now that I think about it, because the record then came out I think the first week of October. Um, it was supposed to come out in in August, but there was I, I forget exactly why it got delayed. Um, so, something happened like we couldn't finish the artwork because we were on Warp Tour and we couldn't get pictures done or something. I forget exactly what happened, but there was some sort of delay. Um, and so ours got pushed back to October. So it came out, you know, five months or so um, after we had finished re- finished recording it. And I uh, I also want to talk about, too, on that on that record with you, like your, uh, your guitar rig for Last Stop Suburbia, were you pretty much sticking to, like, the same guitar and amp situation for, like, every song? Were you mixing things up in the studio gear-wise? What, what were you kind of playing on that album? Yeah, for the most part, we stuck with... We kind of found a formula that, that worked. Um, so at the time, I was playing a Fender, um, a Fender Fat Strat uh, with a, a humbucker in the bridge pickup. And I, I believe I was playing out of either a matchless or a JCM 800. Uh, I can't, cause we had, I think we had like seven or eight different amps to choose from. Um, and I know John was playing out of his Gibson, his Les Paul studio, I think out of a, out of a dual rectifier, a Mesa rectifier. Um, and that was kind of the sound that we stuck with. You know, those were the two tones that we got that we liked um, that we used for probably, you know, 80, 80 to 90 percent of the album. I think there was a couple songs where we, you know, put in some maybe minor effects um, or use something a little bit different, maybe some cleaner tones on a few things. Uh, but, yeah, the majority of it was, you know, for the most part, plug and play. Everything worked. I mean, I feel like the uh, the tone and everything. It's kind of. I mean, sort of like earlier talking about like if you guys kind of go with like the first take or your first ideas, it's almost like yeah, you really don't have to mess with that. Like the tone worked with everything. The guitars sound really well with it. So yeah, maybe <laughs> maybe it wouldn't have been good if you guys started like you found a reverb pedal or like a delay pedal or something like that. Maybe maybe the album wouldn't be the uh, the classic that we all love right. now. Yeah, and it's. I mean, it's really funny because. We like honestly, I I do not remember spending any time at all getting tones. Like I remember, because we had we had seven or eight different amps to choose from, and I think we we took I don't know four hours one day and plugged them all in just to see which ones we liked. And there was a couple that you know sucked, and so we just didn't even bother with them. And 
but then you know we didn't spend a whole lot of time dialing something in if we if we once we found the head that we liked the most you know we dialed something in and that was it you know we just went with it and that's kind of our personalities to begin with and just the way that we operated as a band and we were still young we didn't really think about tones and we didn't really think about you know the sound of of something you know we were just excited to be recording an album um and you know i think a little bit to this day we still kind of think that way like just this is punk rock let's just plug in and play and just you know rock people no i think sometimes it's the it's the best way to do it but even with mm-hmm. that with that though like have you ever uh like, have you ever been interested on the, you know, even even like outside of Alistair? I mean, have you ever gotten into that side of things of like the recording and production side and like spending ungodly hours like searching for a tone and doing any of that? Has any of that ever interested you or is that just across the board? You're not really into that side of things. I I am now more so much, much more so than I than I was before. Um, t- tones, not necessarily. Uh, I can usually dial in a, a pretty good tone fairly quickly these days. I, I kind of have an idea of, of what I like and, and what I want to sound like. And I know how to, to, to get that relatively quickly. So I don't typically spend too much time dialing in tones. But what I've really got into lately is using effects pedals um, and just experimenting with, with different you know, like sonically with, with different tonal ideas, delay pedals, reverb pedals, pitch shifters and things like that. Um, you know, as, as I got older, I think it just trying, trying to just broaden the things that I can do or listen to. Um, and it's fun, you know, at least now it just gives me a little more experimentation. Oh, definitely. Definitely. For the, uh, you know, for touring for last stop suburbia, like what did, I know, I know a second ago you were saying, uh, you guys were playing Warp Tour and stuff not long before the mm-hmm. uh, the record came out. Was uh, like, yeah, what what did touring look like for this record? Were you pretty much once it came out, you just hit the ground running, hitting on the road? You know, did you play uh, internationally at all for that for that album? Like, what touring looked like for Last Stop Suburbia? Yeah, we did. In fact, um, the it, uh, if you notice, I believe in the artwork for Last Stop Suburbia. So we we did Warp Tour that summer before the album came out, and and the photo that's in Last Stop Suburbia of the four of us. I think there's two two photos of us, but one of them you can see there's like stormy skies in the background. I know exactly the one you're talking about. And that was taken in Florida on the Warp Tour, and it was really it was there was bad weather coming. And we're like, this actually might look really cool with our album. Let's see if we can get some pictures. And so we did, and it worked out really well. That is hilarious because um, I've always thought I know exactly the one you're talking about. I and yeah. I've always liked that picture, but I assumed that was like doctored or like something was done with it. I realized it was pretty natural. That was just where you that were was that day. Totally. Yep. Totally natural photo of just outside in in Florida during some crazy summer weather that they were having. Oh um, but to, to answer your question more directly, yeah, one, once that album came out, it was basically nonstop touring for us for, you know, three years until we did the next record. Um, and that included, we went to Japan a couple of times. We, we did the UK. Um, we did Europe. Um, we did, um, I'm trying to think, we did a Canadian tour, but I think that may have been after our third record came out. Um, 
but yeah, you know, we spent as much time as we could on the road because none of us really liked being at home. You know, there wasn't a whole lot of for us to do at home. We didn't really want to work real jobs. And so the only way for us to, you know, try to, to make any money at all was to stay on the road. And so that's just kind of what we did. And I think that made it a little bit harder for us to write and record. And that's what took, you know, three years in between the next record um, was just because we spent so much time touring. We, we didn't really write songs a lot when we were on the road. It seems hard, like to write, like some people I've talked to will write on the road, but the majority is, it seems like a very difficult place to try to write music does not seem like the best setting. Yeah. Yeah. I can see it both ways. Like, like you said, some people do it well and do it often. And that just kind of wasn't what we did as a band. Occasionally we, I would write a song while we were on the road. Um, but it was, it wasn't, it wasn't very frequent. Do you, uh, do you remember some of the bands you toured with? Like during those, like for the last stop suburbia era, you remember some of the bands you hit the road with? Yeah, so we did. I'm trying to remember if this was just before Last Up Suburbia came out or if it was right after. I think maybe it was just before, but we did a tour with Real Big Fish and Sugar Cult. Um, I think when the record came out, we did a really big tour with Flogging Molly and Andrew WK. Um, and that was really cool because I think that was like a f- close to a full nationwide tour. I don't think we made it to California or like the West Coast, but I know that we played like Denver and everywhere on the East Coast. Oh, nice. um, so that was really good. Um, and then we did, you know, of course, we did like the drive through tour. Um, we did a couple of headlining tours, um, I think, with uh maybe hidden in plain view um it's it's hard to remember sometimes because so many of the tours kind of all jumble into one and it's hard to remember which one was which oh and we're looking back 20 years too like throw 20 years on top but i totally i i I do not i do not fault you if you're not a hundred percent accurate with uh if you can't remember every single uh detail (laughs) those are the big ones um and i and and i know we did tours with less than jake um a couple tours with less than jake actually um and those were always really great um those are the big ones I can remember. Well, that was the other thing too. I was going to ask. I mean, was this, uh, you know, for the most part, for Last Stop Suburbia that era? Are these mostly openers or headliners? Like, what was the majority of, uh, you know, of the touring on that? Were you still kind of opening for bands during that era? Yeah, I think the mo- the majority of the tours that we did, we were still opening. Um, you know, for bigger bands, like we opened with Andrew for Andrew WK, and we opened for Lesson Jake. We opened for Real Big Fish. Uh, and I think those helped us, you know, significantly start to draw fans when we did, you know, like a headlining tour. Um, and then we did a couple of headlining tours of like, you know, small clubs. Um, but those were always kind of fun too, you know, just to kind of see, you know, how well, kind of gauge how well all of the hard work that you're putting in is actually paying off. Oh, yeah, no, for for sure. That uh, it totally makes sense. You get tighter as a band and you just get better, mm-hmm. I feel like, too. 
Um, going in, you know, we are talking about, like, I mean, you guys are pretty prepared. And you hit the studio, and you knew the songs to last Stop Spurvy and everything. Were there any that ended up that were recorded that didn't make the cut? I mean, were there any were there any songs for those sessions that did re- get recorded that just you just didn't release, or was basically everything you guys recorded hit you know made it onto the record? Um. So let me think. There was there was one. I know there was one song in particular that didn't make it on the record. Um, that we ended up releasing later on a on a seven inch somewhere, uh, but I don't remember. I don't remember if the song was written and just not recorded for Last Stop Suburbia, or if we actually recorded it and it didn't make it on the record. I feel like we did record it and it just didn't make it on the record. Uh, but it, if that's the one I'm thinking of, there was only one. It was just that one. And then is- um, we didn't we didn't have like a handful of songs just that didn't make the cut. Um, there was only the one, if that was even the case. And then kind of, you know, like we were talking about, like during, uh, you know, kind of writing some of these songs, last stop suburbia more during like the end of like the dead ends era on the other side of that. I mean, were there any songs that you, you know, not even recorded, but like or ideas and stuff for songs for last stop suburbia that uh, didn't make the cut that ended up over on before the blackout. Were there any ideas kind of from that era that you ended up working more on when it came time for uh, before the blackout? Yeah, there is, there is a, a few songs. Um, there was a few songs that were, we had just kind of started writing towards the end um, of our, our writing, I suppose, session for last stop suburbia um, that weren't quite finished yet. They were like half ideas or three quarter ideas um that i ended up then using i think for a little bit of time in my other band but then we ended up using them as alistair songs for before the blackout um and kind of kind of finished them up um not too many maybe like two or three that i can recall i always uh i always like to ask this for last stop suburbia were there any like it, and it maybe it's not even a whole song maybe it's just a part of a song was there anything on that record that was just a huge pain in the ass to get down and get right for one reason or another? Was there anything you remember just going like it just for whatever reason? Again, maybe it's not even hard. Maybe it was just getting the sound down, getting it down correctly. Was there just something you remember from that album being a pain in the ass to get recorded right? Um, Let me think. Yeah, I feel like um, there was something – something weird going on with the song overrated and i i don't necessarily recall what it was but i remember that song for some reason being a bit of a struggle um and it I, we like there was a, a get one guitar part i mean it's not it's three chords it's not hard but i just couldn't get it right it was like a little slide or something that i had to do on the guitar and i couldn't do it right and I felt like when I was singing that song, I, I, I didn't sing it well and I couldn't sing it right. Uh, to this day, that's probably the only song on that album that it bothers me. But <laughs> it's the one song that I'm like, I feel like we could have done this one better. Like it just, eh, it didn't come out as great as I would have hoped. Um, but better only one song than five or six like that. Yeah. Yeah. You're not, you're not joking, which also, <laughs> cause I was going to ask that too. I was going to ask like, you know, as you listen 20 years later, if there was like 
anything you'd alter of the record, you know, be it a be it a song or to change something or if there was something about it, but it doesn't sound like there's many things, just that song. Yeah, no, there really isn't. There was one other there was one other song too. Um there's a song on on the album called Waiting Waiting for You, I think it's called, towards the end of the album, Waiting for You. I think oh, it's yeah. called. Um and there was so <laughs> Back then, well, still to this day, none, neither of us, none of us are, are like, you know, good musicians by any means. We're like adequate at the guitar. We can play three chords. We can play some solos, you know. So we weren't like really good guitar players. And there was like a little guitar solo at the end or in the middle or at the end of that song that I wanted to have in there. And I just couldn't do it. Like, yeah, just my hands just don't work like that. And I, I'm not skilled enough to play. So we had... um we had Ariel from the Hippos. There's this old ska band from Southern California oh, called rule. the Hippos. Yeah, I love yeah. the Hippos. They were great. So Ariel came in one day and just ripped this guitar solo. <laughs> like, <laughs> no joke. It was so funny. Like, he put the guitar on and he plays it like in one take. Like, I told him, <laughs> I kind of explained like what I wanted. I was like, well, here's what I want. I was like, here's the idea. And he's like, okay, cool. Let me do something. And he like just did it in one, maybe two <laughs> takes. And I was just like, man, I would do anything to be able to play like that. <laughs> so that was cool. So thanks to him for, for coming in and, and doing that for us. Yeah, that is that is a, a nice little tidbit too about the uh a record when you listen yeah. when you listen to that solo now. <laughs> uh you know, like I like I mentioned earlier, and I'm very excited for it. You know, you guys are playing four chord music fest uh in September. The yep. uh I mean, I know we're a little ways away. Has the band, I mean, has, have you kind of figured out yet set list wise? Have you rehearsed at all? Do you kind of know what you're doing for that show? Or are we still a little early off for uh, all those things? I think it's a little early off. So we're, we're talking about practicing. I guess that's the first step, <laughs> first step right? Absolutely. Um, <laughs> um, so we'll, we'll probably be practicing uh, you know, I would imagine within the next couple of weeks, um, cause we want to get at least a few in before that show. Um, and we wanted to play, you know, we wanted, the goal was to play all of last stop suburbia from start to finish. Our set set time doesn't allow for all of that. So I think what we're going to do is we're going to play majority of songs from last stop suburbia. So I think I think we have like 35 minutes to play or something like that um, for 35 to 40 minutes. I forget exactly. Um, so I think we're going to try to play like eight, eight or nine songs from suburbia and then probably two or three others. Um, but we want to kind of keep with the last stop suburbia, you know, 20 year celebration. So the, the majority of our set will be from that, that record. Nice, nice. I, I mean, I was thinking about it too. I mean, when was the last show Alistair played? It's been a while, right? Yeah, the last time we played together as a band was in 2019. Um, we we did Summer Sonic Festival over in Japan. Um, it was August of 2019. That was the last wow. time we played together as a band. Oh my god! Yeah, and then the pandemic hit, you know, and we haven't been able to play and. And Scotty, our bass player, lives full time over in Japan, um, so we don't ever really get together as as a four piece, um, you know, to to play and practice. And so, but but now he's going to be able to come come back and 
practice and get ready for the show. So it's going to be great. No, I'm I'm uh, I'm definitely looking forward to that show. I've not seen you guys since uh, yeah 2014 on that MXPX wow. Zebrahead tour. Would have been the last time. Oh, I saw okay. It. And the first time okay. actually. What am I saying? It was the first and last time I saw you guys until now. Now, uh, now we'll get to see you, <laughs> see you again. So I know I'm looking forward to it. I mean, I, again, like I feel like if people are Alistair fans, they probably know that. Like when you play a show, go see it. You know, you're probably not going on ten tours a year. So right, check it out if you're coming to play. You know. Yeah. Exactly. Was that the one? Was that at Mr. Smalls? That one was at. No, it was at I wanna no, that was at Alter Bar, actually. Oh, that's which right. is no that's longer right. there. R.I.P. Alter no? Bar. I actually I you know okay. what? Legit might be a church again. It's something, but it's not a venue. <laughs> I, it legitimately might be a church again, if I remember. <laughs> it reverted back. But uh yeah, you you played the, actually you played two places. You played there and then I saw you Buffalo the next day at the waiting room in Buffalo, which also no longer exists. So both places you played last time no longer exist. Man, sad state of affairs. (laughs) Absolutely. But, uh, you know, just just a few more here as we're kind of closing up. I mean, uh, another Alster release that – and I I just thought of it the other day while I was writing questions, and I can't believe it's already uh, 10, but, I mean, this year marks 10 years since uh, 2012's Life Behind Machines, which – it's just insane to me it's been out that long. But, yeah. I mean, just, like, a little off that one. Like, I, I really like that album. A lot of great songs on it. Like, where does that one fall for you in terms of, like, Alistair's material? You know, 10 years later, when you look back on that record, you know, what are kind of your feelings on that one? Thank you. Yeah, you know, that that record is actually my favorite record that Alistair has ever, has ever released. Oh, nice. Um, just for a lot of reasons, I think um, – I, I, I like, I think it sounds great. Um, we did it with our friend, Mark, Mark McCluskey, who at the time he was living in Chicago. We just kind of did it in his house. I think he lives in New York city now. Um, you know, but he's, he's really good and he's, he's done a lot for our band to help us and, and help our sound. And, and you know, that like, that was just a fun record to make again, cause there was no pressure. We just, you know, we were kind of able to do it and we released it and I, and I think it sounds really good. I think the songs are really good. Um, I think it showcases some of our, our better songwriting abilities between Scotty and myself. Um, I just think those the songs on there are generally speaking more thought out and more, uh, more well-defined as songs as opposed to just pop punk three chord songs. You know, there's a little bit more to some of those songs um which i i really liked um so that was that was really fun and then that's why i think that one's kind of my favorite that's a, it really is it's a great record i think it's aged very well too like listening back i think 10 years down the road still a uh, a solid listen and i mean i guess i know i'm far from the only one to ask you this but i mean and i had not even thought about it until then i mean you did the 20 years and counting in 2019 but like as far as a full-length alistair record of new songs that would have been the last one 10 years ago. I mean, do you see you guys eventually writing another one or doing another Alistair record? I don't know. Um, I I would like to say yes. Um, The one thing I can say is I'll I'll never say never, you know, I've kind of learned that over the years. Um, (laughs) But, you know, I think that if the time timing is right, 
um, and we're able to do it, I, I think we, we would be able to do a new, a new full length. You know, I know uh, Scotty's really busy with a lot of his projects over in Japan, you know, and, and me and the rest of the guys over here too. Um, but, you know, none of us really ever stop writing songs, you know? So I, I, I know I personally have this massive catalog of ideas and songs and, some of them are 90% finished. Some of them are 100% finished. Some of them are 20% finished. Um, just different stages of songwriting. Um, but I think it would be fairly easy to kind of go through some of the, the back material that Scotty and I have written over the last 10 years and pick and choose, you know, 12 songs for a new Alistair record. Um, I think it would just be a matter of finding the time to do it um, and then scheduling the time to do it. Yeah, I, I would uh, I would be excited for uh, for that because it really did it. it. It just hit me maybe a day or two ago. I mean, I knew it had been a while, but I was like, "Damn, it's been ten years since that album." Yeah, that's crazy. But a good, but crazy. again, a strong record. I do got to say, a very strong record. So yeah, not thank a, you. Not a bad one for people like you know if they are just discovering Alistair and it's like, what's the latest record? You know, you got a you got a good one for uh, you know people to uh, go listen to outside of Alistair. I mean. Your uh, any of your other projects or bands? Are you working on anything else at the moment? Yeah, I play in. Um, I got this other band called Hot Ellis um, that's been playing. We got a show coming up in August um, at this bar in Naperville, Illinois, um, suburb of Chicago, um, and we're staying pretty busy doing that. We practice usually every weekend. Um, we're trying to book more shows now that everything has kind of opened back up, and you know we keep writing. We're, we're I'm actually I'm actually before I. Uh, before we started talking here, I'm demoing a new song right now for for that band. Um, oh, nice. Send over to the guys. And uh, so yeah, I'm staying busy with that. I'm you know just writing, taking care of my kids, you know, doing the whole the whole dad thing, which is cool. Now nah, that's nice though for music. I mean, as far as uh, you know, if people want new music from you, I mean, you are. I and I know I feel like you're uh, you know Alistair and beyond. Yeah, you you. I feel like you're always doing something. Or have another kind of project going on, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like even if yeah, Alistair's not doing something, you're writing and playing music. A hundred percent. Yeah, I'll never be able to stop doing that. But uh, you know, as we as we close up, and I got I got like one more with uh, you know, Last Stop Suburbia here, but it really is a record that you know I I feel like it's a fan favorite. People look back. I, I do have to say, I think when I, when you think back to like early two thousands pop punk or that drive-through era, just that part. I mean, it, it's a it's a record people bring up. It's a record people talk about. One of my favorites from that era. Like, I'm sure you can't pinpoint why it's why it's beloved or why it's a fan favorite. But is there anything is there anything that you personally think like the reasons why Last Stop Suburbia, you know, for 20 years people have loved it and it's still talked about and you know, again, seems to be overall like the fan favorite. Like, I mean, what what do you think you would credit? for it, you know, having that longevity and it not being just forgotten 20 years later. Hmm, that's interesting. Um, I don't know. I, I think, I think maybe part of it um, has to do with just the fact that it, it it's a fun record, you know, like, like, I, like we kind of talked about earlier, you know, we were never a very serious band. Um, we never really took ourselves very seriously. We never wrote lyrically um, about serious topics. Um, 
you know, and so I think because of that, it's one of those records that people can put on and it's just fun. You know, it, it usually can put you in a good mood. Um, it's not really, you know, sad music that can bring you down or whatever. Um, and I think it's just, it's just fun. And I think when you couple that with our, our live show, you know, we, we tried to, you know, really have, have a, a party on stage is kind of the way that we used to talk about it in the band is we like to just have a party. We like to go out and have fun and have a good time. And that's kind of the energy that we wanted to, to try to bring to stage and bring um, to that record. Um, and I think, I think that's probably what keeps people hooked on it um, is that, you know, some of the songs are, are catchy um, and it is just fun from start to finish. You know, it's just a kind of a fun, record and it's not long you know it's like i don't know what is it 37 minutes or something like that 38 minutes it's not a terribly long record um so you can kind of get through it and, and feel good and then move on with the game no i really it really uh <laughs> it is a great re- it is a fun record like you said it's really fun i think it uh year round it's good but it really i i do think summertime is a uh it is it is a good time to blast that thing on a, uh, <laughs> yeah, on a nice summer drive you know maybe right. maybe for other people i don't know if you're allowed to blast last up suburbia <laughs> Sounds a, like a little strange for me. yeah i don't know if you're allowed to do that but uh i i can and i will tell you it is a a, a solid summer listen with the windows down you know on a sunny Sweet. day blasted it but uh yeah i mean tim this has been great where can uh you know where can people find you where can they find alistair hot alice all your other bands where can they find you your music online like all that good stuff where do we where do we go now yeah you can find all of my stuff on either apple music or spotify um i'm on twitter i'm on instagram um i don't have facebook so you can't find me on there um but i do uh i use twitter regularly i i'm on instagram every once in a while um the alistair does not have uh an instagram page but i think alistair the band actually has a facebook page uh, i don't know what it is because i don't use it um but if you go on facebook and search for alistair uh, i think you can find it um but yeah other than that um you can find me personally on those those platforms too nice nice yeah keep uh keep connected with tim and the band and again I uh, I do want to say if I mean unless you're listening to this in the future and Saturday September 10th 2022 has already happened you can disregard <laughs> it but if it's not happened yet Four Chord Music Fest in uh, Pittsburgh and uh, that's two days really amazing lineup I got I got now I will say you are personally my favorite on there and I'm I'm very excited to see you guys but lots of great bands awesome. on that so it's going to be a good time so make sure you go check that out and uh, it only makes sense now if you're listening to the podcast. We'll play a song or two off Last Stop Suburbia, but for the radio show right now, we're going to play uh, Last Stop Suburbia front to back. We can uh, we got enough time to play the whole thing. So whichever awesome. one you're listening to, here we go. We'll start with track one, like we were talking about earlier. I mean, perfect, perfect album opener. I can't imagine another song opening this record. So right now, here's Alster with Scratch off Last Stop Suburbia, right here on the Power Chord Hour.
Well, I think the time has come to tell you how I feel about everything that's been inside my mind since the day we crossed the line into this real life fantasy. Cause I poured my heart into the last three years of wondering what I should do. Should I catch the second train and what I thought I knew? Your promises don't help to make it easier. Place. 
right here on the Power Chord Hour podcast, one of the most quintessential early 2000s pop punk songs. I mean, if you're trying to describe a sound, a time, an era to someone, doesn't get much better than that one right there was Alistair with Summer on Fullerton. Before that was Alistair with Overrated. Opening up that block of music was Alistair with Scratch. All three of those jams off their album Last Stop Suburbia turned 20 this year. Huge, huge thanks to Tim Rogner for calling in. I had such a fun time talking to him for the second time. If you've never heard our first interview, we did one back in 2019 when uh, Alistair put out their record 20 Years and Counting where uh, they re-recorded a bunch of classic Alistair songs. And then they also did uh, one or two new songs, which were uh, really, really solid. I'm going to play Stay With Me, one of the uh, one of the songs they did for that record. It was it was a new one at the time. I guess now it's like three or four years old. But uh, that was one of them with Scott Murphy on vocals. And uh, really, really good song. I mean, really, I think Alistair has another record in them. You know, I mean, Tim was talking about it a little bit in that interview. But I, I think Alistair could put out another really solid record. But I cannot believe Life Behind Machines has been out for 10 years including because that was really the first Alistair record that like came out when I was a fan. Actually, there's seven inch. You can't, you still can't do that on vinyl, which uh, I also think Tim was talking about. I forgot to ask him, but he mentioned there was a song that they were working on during, I think like last stop suburbia that uh, ended up on a seven inch release later. And I believe what he was talking about was you still can't do that on vinyl, which came out in like, like 2011, I think, because Life Behind Machines was 2012. But uh, you know, just to just to think, I had just found Alistair not terribly long before that record came out, and now to think that's 10 years old, and uh, Last Stop Suburbia is now 20, which I got Last Stop Suburbia for Christmas actually in uh, 2010 on uh, on CD, and uh, I don't think it was on vinyl yet. I do own a copy of uh, Last Stop Suburbia on vinyl now, and I even have the uh, test pressing as well. But uh, at the time, that was not on record. And uh, had to get that bad boy on CD. But uh, I love that record. I mean, again, like I, I think when you're talking about you know early 2000s pop punk, what the sound was like. I mean, just everything about it. I think that that album represents it so well. I, I think that record has all the best aspects of uh, what made that era of pop punk so much fun. You know, and I think it aged really well too. I think uh, still as you listen to it, it hasn't uh, lost. It's just it's a fun, simple record. And uh, I think that's part of what makes it timeless, though, too. There's not much about it that, I guess, except for the sound. I mean, you can listen to it and, you know, probably go, okay, you know, that came out around, you know, this certain era. But, uh, you know, overall, I don't think there's a lot about it that that outdates it. I think the production is quite solid on it. You know, again, the songs are quite solid. I mean, they're just catchy, melodic. Like, that band can write a hook. You know, Alistair, what I love about Alistair is they are a band where I think you know what you're getting out of an Alistair record. But it's like, I, I think you need bands like that. I love bands that are like that. You know, there's certain bands where it's like, you know what? change things up, you know, kind of surprise me on a, on records and stuff like that. But then there's other ones where it's like, I like the, the you know you're going to get something solid from them. Like, you know what you're going to get from Alistair, but you also know that they're going to do something good. You know, they're not just going to rehash a record, but, uh, you know, they're going to make a really good, just catchy, you know, pop punk album. I don't think any of their albums sound alike, but at the same time, they're all really fun pop punk records. So hopefully we get another one. I can't believe it's been 10 years since we got a, a, a full, like a full length of new songs. Again, they did that 20 years and counting and re-record all those songs. There are a couple new ones on there. 
But uh, if you if you did miss that, I got to say they did some really solid re-recordings. And uh, like I said, too, those those new songs on there are really solid. And uh, I talked to Tim Rogner all about that back in 2019 pre-podcast interview. But that is up on the uh, podcast feed. I put it up, oh man, probably like a year ago. It's been up for a little while. But uh, my interview with Tim Rogner, our first one from a few years back, and you want to go check that out. That is uh, up on the podcast feed as well as on our YouTube page. Or uh, you know, if you go to if you go to YouTube, maybe you're listening to us there. But if not, you go to YouTube, search Power Court Hour, and uh, you'll find all our past interviews there. But uh, yeah, that's going to be this week's episode of the podcast. Happy Fourth of July to you if you're listening to the day this came out. And uh, yeah. So what else? Give us a follow at PowerCord Hour on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook if you would. That would be rad. Rate, review, and subscribe wherever you uh, are listening to this podcast. That helps out a whole lot as well as uh, just telling a friend about us. You know, if you got a, a punk and alternative loving friend who, uh, you know, just needs a good podcast, music podcast in their life, here you go. Let them know about the PowerCord Hour. I would appreciate that greatly. New radio shows every Friday night on 107.9 WRFA in Jamestown, New York. You can stream the station on our website at WRFALP.com. I will be uh, airing my interview with Tim this Friday on the radio show, and like you heard, I'll be playing all of Last Stop Suburbia front to back after the uh, record. So if three songs weren't enough for you, we're playing a whole like another fourteen on that radio show, along with uh, a bunch more Alice. I mean, we go we go eight to midnight, so uh, Friday nights eight to midnight Eastern. So we got lots of time after the interview to uh, play Last Stop Suburbia and tons of other music. So we'll get into it, and I'll make sure I play stuff where uh, you know if you're an Alistair fan, I think you're going to like what I play throughout the night. So uh, big old Friday night show there for you. But uh, yeah, that is going to be it until next week. So for the Power Court Hour podcast, I'm Anthony Merchant. Thank you so much for listening.